this morning, as in a way that's fitting beyond what I could have planned for or prepared, we are looking at a story from Advent, from the time of preparation, the time leading up to Jesus' birth, where there is an angel at the center of the story, an angel bringing that good news of hope. We're looking at Luke chapter 1 this morning with the story of Zechariah. So we'll be reading verses 5 through 25 of Luke 1. And my hope through this series of Advent with all of you is to zoom in on some of the main characters of the first Christmas story in a way that lets us remember that they're not characters in a book. They're not just a nice bedtime story that we can read our kids that someone made up. These were real people just like you and me that lived a couple thousand years ago with all the same hopes, dreams, fears, anxieties, uncertainties. And in the midst of that world and in the midst of those real people, the hope of Christ came. So hear now the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once... When Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And my wife is well along in years. Notice how he said it nicer about his wife than he did about himself. (laughs) He's a good man. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. 
Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when little kids are growing up, as you all know, there's certain generally accepted milestones that every parent is excited to see them accomplish. Sitting up on their own, rolling over, crawling, walking, you know, some of the big ones. But there's another one right after those that for me personally is really fun, really important that maybe other people just don't care that much about. It's probably my passion for baseball and softball, but I always take note of when the little kids in my life, and my own boys now, can start to try to catch a ball. Now first you start out with some little squishy foam ball or something, because you know they're going to miss it, you don't want to hurt them, so you hold out and go, okay, get ready for it, and they hold out their hands, and you throw it, and they don't move, and it bops them right in the forehead. And then after a while, they start to get that down. They at least go like this with their hands, even if they don't catch it every time. And then, after a little while of that, you can move on to teaching them to try to hit a ball with a bat. And one of the biggest issues, if you've ever tried to teach a little kid this, is getting them ready to hit it. It doesn't take them very long to figure out how they're supposed to stand, how they're supposed to hold the bat. The hard part is getting them to concentrate on the ball that's coming at them. First, they stand there, and they look everywhere but you. Okay, I'm ready. Yep, yep. You go, nope, you've got you've to be right. I'm about to throw this thing at you, so you better... And then they kind of get that down. Like, okay, I can't just look at the clouds. And they stare at you. And you throw the ball, and they keep looking at you while the ball goes right there. They go, okay, I'm ready. No, you weren't, because it's this thing. It's not, it's not me. This is coming at you. And hopefully, after a while, if your kids are more coordinated than me, they'll eventually get it down. But honestly, I can't blame little kids for not understanding how to get ready to hit a ball, how to keep their eye on the ball. Because even though we may get a little bit better at that over time, most of us still suffer from chronic unreadiness our whole lives. It's not just when we're three years old. Those little three-year-olds grow up to be teenagers, like some of you who absolutely cannot wait for high school to just be done already. You're a sophomore and you have senioritis. But the day will come, if any of you are in high school right now, that day will come when you walk across the stage and they hand you a piece of paper and you go, oh, shoot, I, I can't be in this building anymore. They're going to kick me out and tell me I've got to go figure out something to do. I've got to know what college I'm going to go to or what job I'm going to take. 
You got to figure this out. They were waiting for years for it to just be done. They weren't ready. And then those teenagers become full-fledged adults who go into the workforce or go to college and graduate and continue that pattern of unreadiness modeled by so many of us who have gone before. Millions, literally millions of Americans run around like chickens with their heads cut off during the beginning of April because they had no idea their taxes were going to be due. And those exact same people run around like headless chickens again on December 24 because they don't have any Christmas presents for the family. I mean, if only Christmas and tax day came at the same time every year, then we could be prepared. We were waiting, but we weren't ready. And the list goes on and on. So many of us are chronic waiters, but we confuse waiting for something, wanting something to get here, with actually being ready for it to come. We sit around and wait and then panic when the day arrives because we realize, I didn't actually prepare. I'm not actually ready for this. And this chronic human problem apparently extends all the way back to the day our friend Zachariah was chosen to burn incense in the temple of the Lord. During the time this passage takes place, the entire Jewish people were in what you could easily call a waiting period with God. It had been 400 years since there was a prophet in Israel who spoke the word of the Lord. Now, they had been told centuries ago that the Messiah would come. But for 400 years, there was no update. Could you at least give me a Facebook post once in a while? There was nothing. Just silence. Just waiting. Now, Zechariah was a priest, one of the spiritual head honchos of the Jews. And not only that, but Luke feels the need to point out in verse 6 that he and his wife Elizabeth were both righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, he says. Zechariah and Elizabeth were straight, narrow kind of people. But in spite of being the couple that could, the kind of couple that could put a smile on God's face, they were still without a child. They had worn out their knees praying for a child. And when Elizabeth was not able to conceive, we're told that when Luke picks up the story, they're both well along in age at this point, past the point of hoping. So one day, the priests do the normal custom of drawing lots to see who would get the high honor of going into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And that lot, that honor, falls to Zechariah. So he goes into the temple to burn the incense. The people are praying outside to watch the smoke from the incense rise up out of the temple as a way of visually seeing our prayers are going up to God. God hears our hopes and our dreams and receives them. And so Zechariah is doing this for the people, on behalf of the people, watching the smoke rise, and suddenly an angel appears beside the altar. 
Zechariah almost jumps out of his skin, and the angel says, Oh, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, she's going to have a son. You're going to name him John. He's going to be amazing. He's going to have the spirit and power of Elijah bring people back to God. He's going to prepare the way for the long-awaited Messiah to come. The time is now. And after Zechariah takes a few deep breaths, lets his heartbeat settle back to a halfway normal rate, he regains his composure, straightens up and says, so how can I be sure of this? I mean, Elizabeth and I are no spring chickens, if you know what I mean. Could I get like a, I don't know, a confirmation email or something with a receipt? Maybe a number I can call? And at this point in the story, I imagine the magnificent angel Gabriel looking at Zechariah, and then looking at himself, looking back at him and going, uh, hi? Uh, me, here, angel of the Lord, you know, right hand of God most of the time, sent down here. I'm kind of a big deal. I don't know if you've ever heard of me. I personally came to give you this good news. There isn't a more important angel or person that could come to tell you. I don't know what you're looking for beyond this. And then Luke tells us that Gabriel says, you know what, because you didn't believe the words I just spoke to you, I'll give you a sign. And it's that you won't be able to speak any words at all until this message comes true. And when I look at Zachariah's reaction to the news, my first instinct is to think, really? Wake up, man. You're a priest. You have been set apart by God to be a priest, to be a, lead, a spiritual leader of your people. You're the one who's supposed to help them be ready for when the time comes, for when the prophecy of the Messiah is fulfilled. And not only was the long-awaited Messiah finally coming, but Zechariah's son, his long-awaited son, was going to get to be an important part of it. His son that he'd been praying for for so long was going to bring people back to God and pave the way for the Savior of the world. You can't ask for a better answer to prayer. Zechariah and Elizabeth would kneel beside their bed at night and pray for a child, and in the morning, Zechariah would go to work and pray for a Savior. Year after year, decade after decade. And a literal angel stands before him and says, It's here. It's come. And he hesitates? He asks for another sign? I mean, Gabriel lobbed one right down the middle, and he whiffed on it. What's up with that? Well, what seems to be up with that is something that is probably obvious by now. The truth that waiting for something and being ready for something sound similar. They're very different things. And let's not be too hard on poor old Zachariah this morning, because I'm guessing that we should all turn our focus away from his swing and take a look at our own batting stance. If we're being honest, I'm guessing we've all confused waiting with being ready once in a while. 
At one time or another, we've all had God lob us a blessing right down the middle of the plate, and we realized too late we weren't actually even looking for the ball. However, fortunately for us, there's this thing, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called grace. I hope you've heard of it by now. When we swing and miss, we have a God of grace. Once his son John was born, God removed the cat from Zachariah's tongue. He could speak again, and how he did that was by bursting forth into praise of God. Even the man who didn't believe the angel standing in the temple in front of him was shown grace. But this morning, I hope we all hear the call from God's word to stop and think about whether or not we are ready. I mean, that's what Advent is, the beginning of Advent, this hope, is saying we're preparing because we know that we should prepare. This is important enough to reflect and prepare for the the reminder, the remembrance of Christmas Day of what Jesus came to do and what his first coming represents. So what I want to ask of all of you and myself this morning is two things. What are you praying for right now? And what do you need to do to get ready for that prayer to be answered? What do you need to do to show that you believe this candle that's burning this morning, that there is hope in God? That our prayers don't go up to the ceiling and bounce off and fall back down again. They rise like the smoke from the temple all the way up to the throne room of heaven. To our God who does answer, to our God who is worth putting our hope in. All too often, if you're like me, you make the mistake of thinking that God isn't going to bless you. You pray because you're supposed to. Because grandma taught me to pray when I was a little kid, and I feel like I'd be letting grandma down if I didn't keep on doing it. And the reality is we might be letting opportunities to experience God's answer to those prayers, those amazing blessings. We might be letting them float right by our eyes because we weren't ready for them. We pray for things in our life and we stand with our arms stretched wide saying, God, my friend really needs you. Please open his heart to the gospel so he'll hear your good news, he'll accept you, and he'll be one of the people standing up here soon saying, I now see the hope of God in my life. And then one day you're having lunch with that same friend. And he says, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately about my job and my family and, and what I do day after day, and if this is all there really is, is this all there is to hope for? And you choke on your french fry and think, what? Oh, uh, really? That's interesting. Um, hey, did you catch the Michigan-Ohio State game? That was crazy, wasn't it? Wow, who would have thought? And then that night... You lay in bed, and you pray, Lord, please help my friend know you. Just open a door any way you can. I'm waiting. Maybe your prayer sounds more like, Lord, my spouse and I are drifting apart. He never talks to me anymore. Please help him open up so we can reconnect. A week later, just out of the blue, your husband seems more chatty after work than normal. Normally, you put the kids to bed, and he watches the game for a little while and then falls asleep in his chair. 
But tonight, I don't, strangely, he wants to talk. Or at least he wanted to talk until he realized that he was having a one-way conversation because his wife was too busy shopping online to realize he was opening up more than usual. And after a few half-hearted responses of, oh, yeah, really? Uh-huh. He stares back at the TV again until he falls asleep. And she goes to bed and prays, Lord, my husband is drifting away from me. Just give me some way. Open a door so we can reconnect. I'm waiting. How many blessings and answers to prayer have we whiffed on because we were waiting, but we weren't ready? We didn't actually think that we should wait in anticipation. God, I prayed this, and I believe you're going to come through for me. So now give me the strength and give me the open eyes to see when it comes so I can take advantage of it, so I can take in the blessing instead of letting it drift by. You know, there are times in my life when I think, you know, it would be nice to actually see an answer to prayer once in a while. I'm waiting, God. But as we see in the first Christmas story, God's answers to prayer, God's blessings, often come with a response from us, a response that's needed. A response of, yes, Lord, thank you so much for this answer to prayer. Now I'm going to do the part you've called me to do with the help of your spirit. But instead, we open our mouths and we might sound a little more like Zachariah saying, ah, I don't know. A massive, glorious angel shining right in front of me. Still, I still got some doubts. Still have a few questions. So in this season of Advent, of waiting, of hope, I think the word is challenging all of us to see where we need to actually get ready this time around. Maybe, like I said, it's that friend or family member we've been praying would come to Christ, would accept that grace in Christ that's there for them free of charge. Maybe it's a fresh connection with your spouse that you need to keep your marriage going strong. Maybe it's the new job, job opportunity you're looking for. Or maybe it's just figuring out how in the world you move forward in faith after that huge relationship or opportunity fell through. After your faith has taken a nosedive and you don't even know who you are anymore. My prayer is that whatever it is for you, you take a good long look this week at what steps you need to take to get ready for the blessing that you truly believe God is going to bring. To remember and cling to the promises of God like it's the first time you've ever done it. Maybe it's remembering and looking back through the photo albums of your life and the blessings and seeing them stacked up going, oh yeah. In the midst of the daily busyness and all the urgent things flying at me, I forgot. Man, back in 95, look at the way God came through. And then in 2007, do you remember that time? Holy cow. If it wasn't for God, where would I even be? 
And remembering, just like the Israelites did so long ago, looking back into the history, they had sort of an ancient saying of walking backwards into the future. Because I don't need to see what I'm walking into as long as I can see what God has done behind the whole way. Doing whatever it takes, staying in the Word, staying in our own past, seeing through the eyes of grace into our own past, to know that God will come through. He has and He will again. So what do we need to do to show and prepare like we believe it? For some of you this morning, your prayer may simply be that you become more like Christ, that he fills you with more of his spirit, which we should all be praying for. But I think if you're anything like me, we might not know what to do with it if we got it. (laughs) We might not know what it actually meant if we received it, what it would require of us, what it may cost us. And in those ways, we forget that what Advent means is not just that we prepare for December 25, that we prepare for Christmas, but Advent, centuries ago, was started as a way of preparing to remember the first time Jesus came so that we remember he's going to do it again. In the same way that he came down that first time, he's going to break through the clouds again. When the trumpet call of God sounds, when the dead in Christ shall rise, when Jesus from his throne says, Behold, I am making all things new, when he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Do we believe that in this Advent season? Or do we think about the second coming of Christ and say, oh, I hope it's not right away. I really wanted to get my driver's license. I feel like I'm so close to getting married. Just hold off a little bit, God. I'm about to get that promotion. I just bought the new four-wheeler. Just renovated the house. We come here every Sunday and admit that we should be ready and waiting for the Lord to come again. And then living our life, our daily life, in accordance to that future hope. But sometimes the reality proves that we're just waiting. Not exactly getting ready. So in a nutshell, my prayer for all of you this morning is that Rehoboth becomes a church that doesn't just pray for God to bring blessings in a season like Advent, but prays for God to reveal how to get ready to receive those blessings, how to live in such a way that when others look at you, they say, whoa, you're preparing for something other than what I'm preparing for. Why do you make those decisions in your relationships? Why do you act with that kind of humility in your marriage? Why do you act that way at work? Not just only trying to get ahead for yourself all the time. Cut anybody else down that you can. Why are you acting differently? So that you have the opportunity to say, well, it's Advent. And I'm preparing for something. Not just preparing for the next day, the next week, the next promotion, the next car, house. I'm preparing for the thing. The main thing. That we take real tangible steps toward 
to becoming the kind of people who are ready to knock the blessings of God out of the park when they come our way. Because they will. We have that hope. Thanks be to God. And amen. Heavenly Father, help us to be people who are getting ready. Lord, I probably put a smile on your face as a chronic procrastinator preaching this message this morning. (laughs) So I thank you, we all thank you for your grace, for the many times that we trip and stumble and fall, and yet you as a loving father scoop us back up again, put the bat in our hands again and say, I'll teach you one more time. Keep on going. My love is always here for you. May we, like Zechariah, learn our lessons, sometimes the hard way, but when our tongue is loosened again, when we're able to speak your praises again, that that be the first thing we do, to glorify you, the God of grace, the God worth putting our hope in, the God who keeps the candle burning bright. And Lord, we look forward most of all to the day that Christ breaks through the clouds and says this old, broken way of the world is done. I'm going to make it like it was always supposed to be. And may we here be the kind of people that when that day comes, say, we're ready because we've been living our life for this hope every day. We can't do that on our own, so please, Lord, strengthen us by your Spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.